Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Schaefer's Market Mashup. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving, a socially distant Thanksgiving, hopefully away from the in-laws or the aunts and uncles that you were kind of hoping to social distance from in the first place. Very excited for today's episode. Because of the work from home and the zero broker commissions that we're facing in this volatile market environment, retail traders have become a huge piece of the order flow for the options marketplace. Uh, According to a recent E-Trade survey, millennials, aka myself, are also twice as likely to trade options versus other market participants. So Siebel Global Markets offers mini VIX futures and mini S&P 500 index options, and they have plans for even more mini options linked to its existing product suite. Today, I'm joined by John Angelos, head of North American Derivative Sales. John, how are you? I am well, Patrick. I also have Anthony Monaco, Account Coverage Director at SIBO. Anthony, how are we doing? Hi, Patrick. Good. Thanks for having me. And last but not least, I've got Dan Powers, Vice President of Portfolio Management at Vector Wealth Management. Dan, what's happening? Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to discussing this, the retail trading boom of 2020 with you guys uh, and hearing how you may think these smaller derivative contracts could appeal to us. I'm going to say us because that's who, who, who I am at this point. Uh, but first, gentlemen, let's start with your individual functions. Dan, you can take this first. Can you offer up a quick summary of what you do? Yeah, I'm a portfolio manager at Vector Wealth. We work with a client about uh, $1.3 billion in assets. Uh, my main job is to deal with all of our strategies and structure custom option trades for our clients. All right, Anthony, what about you? Yeah, thanks, Patrick. I uh, So my I am account coverage. Uh, I, I cover the sell-side banks and the inter-dealer brokers for the SIBO. And John, what do you got? Patrick, as you mentioned, uh, I head up our North America derivative sales, and what that entails is that I'm responsible for covering uh, institutional buy-side clients, so think hedge funds, pension funds, insurance companies, asset managers, family offices, and the like. And my mandate there is to really promote SIBO's proprietary index options products, and, and that really entails uh, products that we either have the existing or the exclusive rights to trade in our exchange, or we own the methodology. So in that respect, there would be index options on the S&P 500, Russell 2000, VIX options where we own the methodology there at MSCI. So I'm there promoting use cases to portfolio managers. Great. Great. Let's jump right into it. I want to first understand overall and broader strokes, what is contributing to this explosive growth that we've seen in the options marketplace this year? John, let's just stick it with you there. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'd say that we've got to go back a little ways um, to really get a running start because there are a number of contributing factors. Um, I kind of look at this into two phases. So if we go back to 2007 to 2009, the global financial crisis, what we really saw at that point in time was a market leading into that that was extremely complacent. Uh, when you look at 9-11, the Fed arguably kept rates too low for too long. The market was on a steady grind higher. So in many instances, um, 
market participants really didn't feel a need to insure their portfolios, right? There's a cost to insurance. And in many instances, our products are used in that capability to mitigate risk. So the market really didn't want to spend the money to do that. Well, lo and behold, we had a black swan event, right? Mark goes down 20 to 30%. So all of a sudden, that kind of changed the game. We were trading about 8 million contracts per day. And within two years, that went up to 16 million contracts. So a couple of things happened right then and there. Uh, people realized there was risk in the world. And number two, they educated themselves to make sure they understood how to protect their portfolios. And I think this is really one of the largest catalysts. When you look at education now, it is so readily available. It's virtually free in many instances. You can go to YouTube. You can go to platforms like this. Schaefer's has research that they offer. So it is high quality, it's accessible, and it's virtually free. So we had non-institutional um, investors become educated to the fact that they know how to now uh, use these products to mitigate risk. So that was phase number one. Phase number two, and you've already alluded to this, was the Robinhood effect. What we've had as of late were these retail platforms that are offering free commissions, free options commissions to trade on their platform. So I'd say that's pretty cost effective. Number two, we have technology. Technology that was reserved once for institutional operations. These are Wall Street traders that had sophisticated tools, platforms, execution platforms, data and analytics that are now offered to retail clients. Same type of quality. And then to overlay that, you can trade these products on your phone using those data and analytics so it's portable. So when you look at education and the Robinhood effect, I would say those two things combined has really opened the doors to retail participation to the levels that we currently see. Great. First of all, thank you for the Schaefer's shout out. I think I've been doing these podcasts for about six months and you are the first person to shout us out individually. So gold star for you. <laughs> As a part of this current market environment is the work from home phenomenon. Uh, how has that impacted the overall demand for options usage from retail traders in particular? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. So as I just mentioned, um, everything to this point has really been a foundational building block. The work from home has really kind of gotten us across that finish line. So when you look at what has transpired with work from home, we now have people working from home, right? So Either they're employed and they have a little bit more time on their hands that they can multitask and trade from home, or they're at home but they're not working, which means they even have more free time on their hands. And to back and to add on to that, if they're not working, they could be using options to generate income, right? So this could be a great supplement to that. Additionally, we know that human beings love to be entertained. And when you look at options, it really provides that type of entertainment, right? I'm going to be involved in the markets. I'm going to be, you know, look at this almost as a game, um, making sure that I'm well-read, understanding what's going on in the world and how to position myself to monetize these type of trends. So just to look at what I said transpired since 2007, options volumes went from 8 to 16 million almost overnight. Last year, our average daily volume was 28.6 million contracts. And this year in September, we actually had a record month and traded just under 32 million contracts. So that truly is a testament to the work at home environment. Interesting. I mean, that, those are those are video game numbers, as they say. What has SIBO done in particular 
to attempt to meet this demand that we've seen from the re from the retail community? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's something that we most certainly don't want to overlook, and we want to provide service to this this growing community and more important community. Um, but as I mentioned before, options have primarily been used at the onset by very sophisticated investors and to mitigate risk. So when you look at our proprietary index options products, they're chunky. They're a large notional value that you get for every contract that you trade. Specifically, when we look at the options on the S&P 500, the largest economic indicator and followed economic indicator in the world, right? It, it expresses the health and well-being of the U.S. economy. If you were to trade one contract on the S&P 500, that would equate to almost 370,000 notional value of a diversified portfolio of stocks. You know, that's great for professional managers that manage hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, but many retail clients, they just don't need that kind of exposure. It's more expensive to control that amount of, of notional value, and you're putting more capital at risk. That's not really user-friendly for a lot of these smaller investors. So having said that, what we've done is we've taken that notional and we've cut it down by 10 times, one-tenth the size. So you now can get that same exposure to the U.S. Bellwether S&P 500 index by one contract that gives you exposure to $37,000 versus $370,000. Right. And this isn't the first time in this space we've discussed the mini VIX or VXM futures. Uh, and you mentioned they were one-tenth the size of standard VIX futures. Uh, I'm going to pivot over to Anthony here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys also offer mini S&P 500 options, XSP. Uh, break that down for me. Yes, that's correct, Patrick. Uh, XSP is a, is a product we're really excited about. It is the mini SPX. It is one-tenth the standard size, and it is designed to track the S&P 500 index. It could fit into portfolio variety of ways. It can be used to gain large-cap U.S. equity exposure. It can be used to down uh, to mitigate downside risk and to enhance yield in portfolios. It's a uh, it's a smaller, more manageable contract size that allows for greater flexibility, for especially for the newer index trader. Okay, that's a pretty effectively tweet length review. You know, another thing to think about, Patrick, mm -hmm. is is it could also be a a smaller piece to fit into a larger strategy as well. Okay, so walk me through one more time the difference between like a standard contract besides the specific quantitative differences, but but between the standard and the mini, what else is at stake here? Uh, you know, I think that this instrument is just a, a smaller bite-sized contract, and John alluded to it before, less less capital intensive. Uh, smaller, smaller notional, but still allows investors to navigate their portfolios the same as they would if they're using the standard, right? And, and just to just to give you a snapshot of where it is in the market, if the SPX is at thirty six sixty seven XSP, which tracks that, is at three sixty six spot seven. Okay. All right. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, Dan, let's get you involved here. Why would someone or how could someone use these XSP options, um, especially within this current market environment or in possibly in the future when we're through this pandemic? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> as I mentioned before, we, we manage money for you know, retail investors. As John was saying, they're still retail investors, right? They're not big financial institutions like pensions or endowments. Um, they also uh, have to think about their investments on an after-tax basis. You know, a lot of times people think about uh, retail investors have a lot of their assets tied up in uh, after-tax accounts like a joint account or trust account. So uh, one of the benefits of using excess options that you get um, is the if they're taxed at a 60% capital gains rate, 40% short-term capital gains rate. Uh, same thing, same thing with the, the longer SPX contract, but um, it allows us to be able to structure trades in smaller retail accounts and also in their tax accounts. And, and for some people, it's a big advantage for them. One of the things that, that we did this year, um, as John mentioned, also that, that we can use options to change the risk profile of your, of your trade. So we had a lot of clients that after the, after the March crash happened, but the spring and the summer, they wanted to increase their equity exposure, but they maybe didn't want to just jump right in and buy the S&P or a different uh, mutual fund at the current price of the stocks were. Mm-hmm. Well, what we did was we structured a trade that's called a risk reversal. This allowed clients to augment or change the specific payout structure of, of their S&P investment. We use access capital to do this. So the trade works worked um, where we owe the money and we were selling put options, uh, generally about uh, 12 months out in time, mm-hmm. 20% below the market. So for these clients that were still a little bit cautious but wanted to get some equity, what that does is it makes it so they don't have to get into the market at the current price. They have a bit of a buffer or they're going to uh, essentially yield any drawdown in the market. It also brings an option premium, so you collect premium when you sell the put. You use that put to go and buy call options. What that did was it it created a structure where we had a downside buffer, but we also then got exposure to the upside if the market was going if the market was higher to those calls. So you would participate with most of the up move, not the, not the entire thing. Um, but we found that clients were, uh, clients like that structure a lot better than just, certain clients liked it a lot better than just getting along in the stock market. Okay. So with XSP, you can speculate on the direction either way, correct? Yeah, or you could speculate on no directional movement at all. Um, we like to talk about how with options you can... Generally, structure a trade that's going to make money in two out of three market environments. And what we were saying with uh, the short in the market and having just come off of a big crash, we didn't think that the market was going to be trading where at that point in time. We thought the market was just or down a lot. And so, for clients that were were wanting to get into the market, but had some anxiety about. Uh, any potential drawdowns in, in the stock market, using that risk reversal was a great way to uh, structure a trade that appealed to them from both sides. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. You know, Dan, if I can if I can if I can just add on for a second, this reminded me kind of a of a funny story when I was growing up. Um, I went to grad school and I took a derivatives class. And back in the day, this was really cutting edge. And what I learned in this class was pretty remarkable, which actually got me into this business. And I remember I went to my parents and I said, you know, I've got to I've got to figure out a way to get a job trading options. And they're like, well, why is that? I go, well, I've learned that you can make money if the market goes up, if the market goes down, or if the market goes sideways. And I'm like, there aren't too many businesses that you can make money in every possible regime. And to your point about really shaping your risk-reward profile, there are unlimited things that you can do from a strategy perspective with the usage of options. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. So sorry, I just had to digress there and talk about my... My, my, <laughs> my history in, in derivatives. No, I trust me, I, I love the stories. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it harkens back to what John was saying about the, um, the perfect storm, really, whereas you, you have all this, these, these products that are strategy heavy, and now people with more time on their hands that are ready to utilize said strategies. I know that there are other products out there that offer exposure to the S&P 500. Anthony, you can take this one first. What is the difference between XSP and those other options out there? Well, I think the one that it's most commonly compared to is SPY, which is the ETF that tracks the S&P 500. And I think that it would be prudent to highlight the difference between index options and ETF options. And, you know, the, but before I do that, let me just back up and say there are some similarities between XSP and SPY options where they are both PM settled and they both have weekly expiries for those traders that like to trade shorter maturities. But I think the difference is that um, we feel index options have a competitive advantage. And there's three main points that I'd like to highlight. Index options are cash settled as opposed to ETF options, which are physically settled, which could cause in the unwanted delivery of shares, which can add another layer of operational risk to portfolios. Secondly, ETF options are American style. They can be exercised at any time during the life of the maturity. Mm -hmm. Index options are European style expiry. They can only be exercised on the day of maturity. And this really protects option sellers from any outsized uh, moves the market may experience. And also, there is no div risk because indices do not pay dividends. And last but certainly not least, what I think is really important is the favorable tr tax treatment that comes along with index options. Uh, and Dan, I, I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about um, if some of the decision-making process between choosing between SPY and XSP, if some of that is fiscally motivated. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when we're dealing with taxable accounts, definitely lean on using index options. Now that we have the, the XSP mini options, it gives us uh, the ability to do this across a, a larger one of our clients. Um, the, the European style is also really important. A lot of times we'll structure trades that are uh, 12 to 18 months in, in that duration. And having a, uh, an option get assigned early sort of mess up the whole trade. So we like the fact that index options have been here to a future uh, it allows us to you know, put a trade on and know that it's going to stay on unless we decide to go in and trade it and change it. That was the difference between the index options and the ETF options. What about 
specifically when you talk about XSP and SPY? Uh, Dan, you can take that to start. It's essentially the same thing that we just talked about, right? You've got, you've got a tax advantage with using excess options if your, your duration of your trade is less than 12 months, and you've got the European feature, so you can't, you don't have early assignment risk if your, if your strategy involves shorting an option, specifically shorting a call. So, uh, you know, if we're doing call spreads as part of a, uh, a strategy, it's, it's really nice to be able to use index options instead of John, Anthony, do you guys have anything to add to that? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. And, I, and Dan, it's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to know that you understand those benefits because I will tell you this, since I do traffic in the institutional asset manager space, I can't tell you how many asset managers literally use SPY options and they have no understanding as to the favorable tax treatment they would get with index options. And, you know, we're not supposed to be advising, you know, regarding tax treatment. And I would suggest that everybody talks to their their, their, whatever their advisors for this, but seems to be pretty well known of the benefits. And if you're not using SPX index options and you're using SPY, you're probably leaving money on the table. And I had a conversation just recently with a, a hedge fund that this gentleman was using SPY and I brought to his attention um, the tax treatment and he thought, oh, I only thought that that applied to SPX. And I'm like, no, it also applies to XSP, right? The smaller version. He was not aware of that. So it's a very important distinction to understand because, like I said, if you're using the competitor, you're most likely leaving money on the table just from a pure taxation standpoint. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And, and ironically, that if this is you know tailored towards a retail audience, then they're essentially getting a leg up on, on these hedge fund people that are almost kind of glossing over that. That knowledge is almost overlooked in, in, in some areas. So I do want to close out here, focusing back on the mini trend. Uh, and, and John, you can take this first, and then we'll, we'll have all three or the rest of you guys give your final thoughts. Do you think the mini trend is here to stay? And what are we, what can we expect in the next year or so? Yeah, I would say it's absolutely here to stay. Um, you know, these retail investors, um, are, I don't think they're going away anytime soon. Uh, once you start trading options and you understand the utility of it, you would be doing yourself a disservice not to continue to trade them. Having said that, we're most certainly going to continue to take some of our larger index options products and miniaturize them. So next up is going to be our, our RUT index options, which uh, gives you exposure to the FTSE Russell 2000. And uh, we'll probably continue to roll out um you know, uh, similar product innovations in a similar fashion. So yes, it's here to stay and we're going to continue to work with our retail community to make sure that we can provide these type of products for their benefit. I feel like that rut will be incredibly popular given it given its notoriety this year. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, up until just recently, it seemed like everything was relatively highly correlated, uh, but we're starting to see those correlations break down. So I think it provides a lot of really interesting trading opportunities between the, you know, U.S. indices. So I agree with you. Dan, Anthony, what do you guys got to wrap up? Uh, yeah, uh, Patrick, I'd, I'd like to jump in. Thank you. So we've uh, we've uncovered some interesting things here at the SIBO. You know, we're always looking to get a better idea of who's trading our products and we, we did some data mining. We were like, all right, let's pop the hood open. Let's take a look. And, and we've uncovered that the av- average option trade is six contracts, which is about half the size from a couple of years ago. 
And we've also determined that there are two and a half million single contract trades per day. This is about 8% of the overall volume. So up from 2% a few years back. And, you know, I think that this just screams that the retail investor is here and they will continue to be a driving force in the market. And we are fortunate here at the CBO to have a robust educational arm. The Options Institute team has extensive product knowledge and is always well, willing and able to help bring clients up the product curve. Dan, want to take us home? Yeah, Patrick, um, I sure hope the, the mini uh, trend is here to stay. It's definitely been helpful for us and for our clients. I think one thing that's important to mention, you know, when we view, uh, when we're doing due diligence on new products, like uh, when we're looking at the XSP options, which we were pretty early adopters for, uh, sometimes people have concerns about the liquidity in, in the options. And from our standpoint, when we do our due diligence, we care a lot more about the liquidity of the underlying security, which would be the S&P 500, which is one of the most liquid uh, uh, financial instruments out there, and there's many different ways to trade it. And so from an options standpoint, you pull up an options chain, uh, we, even if there's not a lot of volume or open interest on a particular option, for us, we care about the, the liquidity of the underlying security. And so, um, you know, we just want to make sure that people understand that and know that. And, uh, and we hope that people, uh, more people take a look at these new options. You know, Dan, that's a really important point. Patrick, do I have time to, uh, to, to jump in? Oh, yeah, let it rip. Okay. So, yeah, we've recently enhanced our liquidity metrics and guidelines for our market making community. And, you know, this is to drive more foot traffic in the product. Uh, these are the same market makers that are that are quoting SPX, that are quoting XSP with, you know, the same risk profile and risk metrics. So um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that Dan has had, you know, good experience and there's been ease of getting in and out of the uh, of XSP because we've often heard the optics as as some pushback. Uh, as a reason for pushback from our clients. John, you said you had something there for a second. Do you want to chime in? You know, I did. I was just going to kind of highlight the optics as well. It's like the one thing that I've heard is when we've got customers that look at XSP and they compare it to SPY because they're same notional, mm-hmm. um, they say, well, my goodness, the SPY is so much more liquid. And that's because when you look at the screens, there's a tighter market. Fair enough. They don't understand that really what happens in the marketplace, even with XSP and the wider markets on the screens, 90% of those trades trade right at the mid. And most people don't understand that. They're just lifting offers and hitting bids. Instead of going mid-market and working in order, which is more likely where the where the, the price is going to transact at. So it appears that it's not liquid, but it's unbelievably liquid. These products, the suite of SPX products are arguably the most liquid index products on the face of the planet. So I would just encourage people that if you do look at the screens and you're comparing side-by-side SPY to XSP, please don't get discouraged and think that it's it's illiquid because it's not. That's all that I wanted to say. Very well said. And yes, yeah, so I'll just wrap up and say I, you know, I feel like this the perfect storm event that we've talked about with the pandemic has opened up all these different avenues. For that, I thank you guys. Um, John Angelos, Anthony Monaco, Dan Powers, all three of you guys, thanks for coming on. Stay safe, and maybe we can chat in the future about the direction of mini and micro contracts down the road. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate you having me. It's been a pleasure. Cheers.